Live from New York City, it's the Dream Shakers Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Odom, here with my co-host, George Nunez. And on this episode, episode 24, today we have a special guest in the form of Mohammed Marilyn. Mohammed is a University of Florida alum where he obtained his bachelor's in computer systems networking and engineering, an MLTCP16 alum, and a current solutions architect at Credit Suisse, occupying a full-time role at the bank for roughly the past three years after interning at Suisse in 2016 and 2017. Mohammed has a deep passion for mentorship and paying it forward and has been featured in media campaigns from Suisse, speaking to the bank's positive approach to work-life balance and employee engagement. Finally, he has embarked on a personal mission to help people create sustainable lives within and outside of corporate settings. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mohammed. Yeah, I appreciate that so much, you guys. And um, it's, it's such an honor to be here. And um, and I appreciate the bio as well. Um, you know, like I told, told talk to you and George a lot. Um, it's very humbling to hear that. And you know, there's the best yet to come, like I always say. So that's just the beginning. At the very beginning, right? Let's let's take it back, brother. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, but but before we even get into anything, how are you feeling? I'm I'm in great spirits today. Um, like I always say, uh, I woke up today. So as long as I woke up today, I, I'm feeling great. That's real. Amen. That's that's a beautiful thing. Um, and you know, we we come from humble backgrounds. We come from humble beginnings, right? How was it growing up in Florida with immigrant parents and getting exposed to that kind of lifestyle? What was that like? Look, take us through that. Right. Um. Honestly, growing up, it, it that was my norm, you know. And I, as you can imagine, um, George, like we used to speak a lot. Um, that's all we know, and that's what we were exposed to. So we're thinking that's how everybody else is living their lifestyle. And it's really more so this uh, whole black and white type of thing. Like growing up in the South, um, um, especially being an immigrant as well, it was not popular being Haitian, a, a Haitian shit kid growing up at all. And I remember we got bullied for that, saying, saying my mom ate cat, and that my dad came on a banana boat. And it's like when I went back home and I asked my parents. And I was like, mom, they're saying that you eat cat and everything like that. She's like, I had to. And they used to bully her and call her uniform because she wore the same dress to school every day. And that my dad did came on a did come on a banana boat so that he come so that we can live a better life here in the United States. That's what a lot of people were doing at that time and still doing to this day. And so growing up, there was always violence both in and outside the home. So um, I'm just so grateful that I'm still even be here and that my mental capacity has gotten a lot better because when you're having trauma at home and trauma at school, that could really be detrimental to your mental health. And so that's why my grades wasn't the best coming up. And that's why when a lot of people come from that environment, you know, they, they maybe have a lot of issues when it comes to academic excellence and striving to, to have someone, they don't have enough people saying, I believe in you. And um, fortunately enough, I had a sixth grade teacher, Ms. Davis, that said, Muhammad, you're not going to be a product of the environment. Um, being the fact that I grew up in an environment where people were bringing guns to school and selling drugs on the street, and um, that's, I could have easily been that. Um, I, I could easily fell for that statistic, but it, that wasn't the case. And I'm just happy to be here. Given the fact that the, the start was a little rocky, right? You were finding your footing, you were immigrant first generation, and you had to adapt, meet the needs of the education system here in the U.S. What was that transition like? 
going into college? How did you decide that you were going to pursue a STEM major? And what ultimately convinced you that tech was going to be where you were going to really start in terms of your career path? I love that question because uh, I always get asked that, oh, how'd you end up going to tech? Or what did you know you're going to do in college? If you asked me 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, I didn't know anything about that. I remember Ms. Davis, my middle school teacher said, Muhammad, you're going to college and you're going to get it paid for. You're going to get a scholarship. First of all, those two things didn't mean nothing to me. All I remember coming up was that my parents, they came here and they was like, Muhammad, you're going to school. But, you know, everything up to everything up, even up to this point has been self-discovery mode because I knew nothing about corporate America. I knew nothing about college or STEM majors. Um, one thing I did know was that when I was a kid, I used to take the computer, break it apart, put it back together, see if I could put it back together. I was fascinated with that. And then back, you know, back, I can, it's funny, kind of, you say back in the day, like the AOL, this, like you put it in for 30 days and you hear the dial up sound. Like I was fascinated with all of that. And then someone would take out the plug in the wall. Hey, the internet is not working. So I was just fascinated with all of those things. And so I realized that, hmm, what is the name for someone that really works with all the technology? Come to find out, engineer. And so I was like, okay, I want to be an engineer um, later down the line, probably more closer, probably in high school, doing more research. Um, and then so when going to college, um, I, I came in as an exploratory engineering. And so being with that, I came in something with through a program called uh, uh, a freshman engineering freshman engineering organization. It was like a summer program. I'm starting to forget the names now. It was like a summer program for engineering students coming in to prepare you for that. I believe it was called STEP. Oh, EFTP, Engineering Freshman Transition Group. That's what it was called, to help people assimilate from, um, from high school to college who want to go into the tech engineering world. And so being that the first organization I got affiliated with was National Society of Black Engineers. That was my first introduction to a professional society that really added so much value to my life and really helped shape my experience, especially for minorities being in STEM. That's something that is a number that still continually people are working on to make a bring those numbers up as far as the corporate environment. Um, I'll definitely say Nesby really helped me excel when it comes to that 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 space. But overall, here's the here's the uh, funny caveat with that. I did not graduate from the engineering school. I graduated with, with a telecommunications degree with a concentration in engineering. So I basically worked smart and not necessarily had to work so hard to get this degree, but still reap the benefits of an engineering degree. So I still ended up in a tech space, being the fact that I didn't still graduate with an official engineering degree. And I actually was very self-conscious and quite, be quite transparent. I was actually embarrassed that I was end up leading an engineering organization, not having a technically an engineering degree. So um, that's basically my, you know, a summary of the journey in tech. That was a great summary and, and breakdown. And let's transition into this org that you're a part of, uh, MLT. And, and not only are you a part of it, uh, Steph and I is a part of it as well. Like that's how all three of us met through this gathering of function one night. Um, in a in an Uber, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it was probably an Uber XL. Right. Um, but talk about how did you hear about MLT originally, and what was the level of impact you believe the organization had on your overall career? Um, for those who don't know, MLT's management leadership for them all, uh, we always rave about it on every pod that we introduce an interviewee. To that is a part of the organization as well. So uh, I, I won't I won't keep chatting there. I'll, I'll let you uh, go ahead. Mo. 
Yeah, MLT, like you just said, Management Leadership for Tomorrow is an amazing, amazing organization. I would not be here without that organization. Just like so many organizations are part of Nesby, MLT, Alpha Phi Alpha, all these organizations really has created this summary of Muhammad, Maryland. Um, however, MLT in general, what it's doing in this country is amazing. Helping minorities with a background as far as Native American, African American, and also Latinx, the Latino um, backgrounds gain access and gain a, a, a basically specialized introduction to Fortune 500 companies because most of us don't have a background, uh, or I'm going to say it's most of us, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but at least for me and George and Stefan, knowing from your backgrounds, we didn't, weren't born into this network. We weren't born with this specialized knowledge of how to network mock interviews and um, already having a network established to be able to work, move around and not having to apply like some people to these jobs that, oh, because you're so-and-so's son or you're so-and-so's cousin that, oh, you already have an internship or you're, you're, you're already all set up. So MLT basically, basically pro provides us those privileges. They gave, they give us this access to knowledge to be able to excel in these spaces. And that's what MLT did for me. I knew nothing about Credit Suisse. I knew nothing about engineers able to work in financial services and come to find out they they are and they have so many roles out there and there's still many roles that's being built out that no one knows about but because of MLT getting access to these uh corporate fortune project companies and these business schools they're providing these opportunities to students like us who had these type of backgrounds and were able to close that wealth gap and gain access to that knowledge and resources the interactions you had with MLT provided you with a certain level of insight the guidance that you gained from that org really allowed you to frame your career and you have continuously preached mentorship and how it changed your life. Can you can you explain further what those impacts have been with some of those organizations that you just mentioned, the, the Nesbys, your, your Alpha Phi Alphas? You know, how has that allowed you to really excel and pay it forward? Yeah, a thousand percent. Um, like I always talk about with mentorship, mentorship when it, it really it really helps you get to the door. And my, like I always say, it's up to you to get through the door. And so without mentorship, I like I always say, I will not be here. It really took a village. And that's what we need to keep paying it forward. Like we're all successful. We're doing a lot of great things in the community. We're doing great things in corporate. We need to pass that down, that knowledge and be our own version of MLT, right? MLT is nothing without the people, right? And so we have to keep passing on that knowledge. And something I love to say, it's a Chinese proverb, right? A candle, a, a candle doesn't lose any light. It only, only more light when it passes it on, right? So that's the Chinese proverb. I love that saying, and so that's what that's what I love that saying. Just be the light. Just continue to be light, and that's what mentorship is all about. Passing on that light to others and cre creating a more light in this world. And so I, that's what I love, and and what that's what it did for me. And and when when it comes to mentorship, it's just like I, it's always about transfer knowledge, sharing that with others. And it's not this scarcity mindset. I really do. True mentorship is abundance thinking. There's really no competition there. You don't lose. You really don't. You only gain because when you win, Stefan, with George, when you win, Stefan, I win. We all win as a collective. As a community, we rise up. And we, and mind you, this, this it has way more, this has a lot of bigger domino effects than just, oh, I'm just sharing information to you. If we raise the community, we have a higher standard of living. We treat the environment better. I was just reading more about this, that it helps create sustainability in our world because we're going to treat the world better. We're going to eat better. We're going to treat the water better. All these different things. Because one thing is, is that without mentorship, that, that only is not, there's not enough transfer of love. There's not enough transfer of that human nature, that humankind treating people right. And so it took a village. Alpha Phi Alpha helped me create a standard for my life. 
Excellence is the standard, not the goal. I preach that all the time. No excuses, just results. Those so many things I've learned from that organization, Nesby, MLT. And um, it was people that came before me that went through these organizations that passed on that knowledge so that I can rise up and create a better standard of living for myself and a higher standard of thinking. Because that's what really mentorship is about, giving you a higher level standard of thinking. Because that's what accountability is about. It's not really a way of doing, it's a way of thinking. Wow, that that is a lot uh, to, to take in and digest. And it's all good because Steph and I relate in that mentorship helped us navigate through our lives and choose certain careers within our career path. Could you explain to the audience what is it that a solutions architect does and why is the role so critical? How did how did how did Mo realize that solution architect was the right path for you? Yeah, and so um, to even provide more insight about that role in itself. So on paper, I'm actually application developer. So I'm a developer on on the job. And so um, my manager was like, so Mohammed, because I was part of a rotational program. And he's like, so Mohammed, you did um, application developer for a year. Um, how'd you like that? And what do you want to, what do you see the vision for your career? I said, I want to be a solution architect. And to try to kind of put it in a metaphor is I want to be a Swiss army knife. I want to be, be very versatile. Because a lot of times we can be very siloed in our thinking and working on these projects and we work on that project and think of nothing else. I want to know for more of a systematic, intelligent type of viewpoint. How does what I'm working on impacting all the different other applications, projects, people? How, how is this team impacting what I'm doing and how does it impact the business? So in short, Solutions Architect is just, breed, breed, for me specifically, is breeding trading solutions to the different areas of business within Latin America, could be in Turkey, from Moscow. London and the New York trading desk. So, so that's really what it is in a certain story, just pr providing those solutions to the business and adding value to those different areas where I can. So you, so you mentioned app development before. Is this a, just a natural extension of that? It, it's probably it's definitely more an expansion of that role. Because I still do a lot of uh, development work, technical work. So working with databases, look, working, looking at the code, um, seeing what issues are there and working a lot with developers and basically being more of a higher level type of liaison between the business and the development work. So I do, I, so it's really providing the implementation and delivery of the product that is needed for the traders. Got it, makes all the sense in the world. And building off of that question, what are some of the unique opportunities and pressures of developing software within a large financial institution like Swiss? Yeah, that's actually very interesting because when you come to think, I didn't really, so coming in, just want to be very transparent. I had a huge, I had a lot of, a big issue in imposter syndrome. I thought credit was going to figure figure me out and fire me because I didn't belong. And that's why you need, there you go, that word mentorship again. You need the mentorship there to say, hey, Mohammed, Stefan, George, you belong. And that's what cre helped create more of that confidence within the workplace. So you have pressure in itself just from that. When you come into the workplace and you just don't know if you're capable, it's confident in you really more than capable of doing the job. It's just that we doubt ourselves so much and that hurts our competency from that doubt. So when we have people believing in us saying, hey, you can do it, that actually increases our, our competency and the productivity in our job. So that's one of the pressures. Um, so another thing is just knack of knowledge. Sometimes coming in, we think when we're, we went to school and we got these degrees that we think we're supposed to know everything and come in with all these uh, tools and skill sets to actually do the job, but come to find out, and this is just me, maybe I'm wrong. You don't need to know everything. 
<laughs> you really don't. I, I learned a lot on the job. And um, and because of that, like I said in the beginning, I thought that I was not going to be successful. I was not going to be successful um, doing, be able to actually accomplish the role. So that's why when I come to realize just gaining that out of being, being hungry for that knowledge and understanding, hey, the word ignorant is not really a bad word. I remember growing up, they would say, Muhammad, boy, you ignorant, right? That's how they would say it. And it was like, and it made it seem like I was stupid, right? It's, that's how it made made you feel but really ignorant when i look finally looked it up it's just a knack of knowledge that's it and i'm real and i come to realize that now george and i we talk all the time i read so much now and i realize the more that i read the more ignorant i know that i am which creates this cycle of hunger of me wanting to learn more information so i really realized that ignorance is not a bad thing it's just bad if you choose to stay ignorant right as i as i usually say more i consider that to be two sides, right? Two sides of the coin of ignorance. It's the ignorance of not knowing. Right. And it's the ignorance of knowing that you're ignorant, but not willing to seek the knowledge. Right. A hundred thousand percent. And I think we was, we was just masterminding one time and we was building on that. And I was saying, look, ignorance on fire is way better than knowledge on ice. Period. And that's literally what I did when I came. I just came guns blazing. I said I was hungry, just kept soaking up knowledge. And um, once again, if I chose to stay ignorant, that's when, yeah, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> but uh, obviously, like I said, I think for anybody, um, um, imposter syndrome, I think for anybody, anyone, you will have that coming in. That's a challenge. And then do you believe that you're fully confident to actually accomplish the job? There were pressures of that. And in working for a massive financial institution such as Credit Suisse, Credit Suisse is global. And the type of work that we're impacting trading flow, execution, um, and most trading is done electronically. So if the trade is failing, that's money that's potentially being lost. So you have that factor as well. And handling risk and working with compliance and making sure you can't say too much when you're speaking to people on different platforms about their business so you don't get fined by the SEC. So you got all this thing going around in the in the background in your head when you don't work for them. Cool. We talked about your role. We talked about where you work. Let's get a little deeper. Hmm? What got you interested in financial services or quote unquote banking uh, and what led up to your decision to pursue a technical or a credit, credit suite bank over like other banks, competitors, quote unquote, um, other tech firms, whether big tech or small tech or even earlier late stage startups. Like why did Mo say I need to do this role at a bank like Swiss? So another funny story about that, I didn't want to do financial services. And it's not because I didn't, it was, I just generally didn't want to, it's because I was ignorant. <laughs> there goes that word again, ignorant. I was ignorant. I didn't know that my background can actually go and add value to the financial services industry. So here's the, here's the thing. There's a guy named Jerome. I was at an MLT seminar. I was in line for Facebook. I was going to Pandora, Google, because having a technical background with that engineering aspect, I was like, okay. You major in engineering, I'm going to work for a tech startup or work for a large tech institution. And so I was in line for Facebook and there's a guy named Jerome. He walked up to me and he said, hey, are you interested in financial services? Now, mind you, I come from a background where don't have any family from any type of corp, major corporate finance for 500 background or anything like that. I'm not going to say no to an opportunity, right? So I just wanted, I was, I'm just, I, like I said, even to this day, I'm always on self-discovery mode. So I said, yeah, I'm open to the opportunity. And um, we had some interviews, we had some calls 
And then they flew me out to a super day in New York City. That was, mind you, that was the first time I went to New York City. I've never saw that place before ever. I, that, I saw the Daily Bugle on Spider-Man. That's what I knew about New York City. I was like, wow, the fact that, so MLT, once again, amazing institution because they're the reason why I got on the plane for the first time in my life when I was going through that in undergrad. But going back, um, yeah, I didn't know anything about financial services. And because of that, that exposure from the internship experience, I was like, okay, I like the culture. And that's probably the biggest thing for me when it comes to working with any type of organization, what is the culture like? Because yes, Credit Suisse is just a name. Like I said, with MLT is just a name, but it's the people that make up the organization. So I realized they had a great culture and, they, and I don't know if it's because it's Swiss or <laughs> if that's the Swiss culture, um, but it's just, it's just a great energy. Managing directors, executive team, they didn't give off this vibe that, oh, I'm better than you because I have a higher title. Um, and, and they just wanted to share that information. They generally wanted to help. And so as a result, that's why I stuck with because Credit Suisse was the was basically my first option. They were the first one to reach out. They were the first ones to be able to provide the opportunity to give me that my internship offer. And I've been with them basically since 2016. Yeah, I interned 2016, interned 2017, went full-time with them summer of 2018. So given the fact that you've been able to have this journey within financial services, you've been able to determine first, what the landscape is, right? How your work contributes to the bottom line and why the work you're doing is important in this industry and field. Do you think that finance is ultimately going to be a space that you plan to stay in long-term or is the door still open to exploring other industries at later portions in your career? That's a great question. I saw, I saw, and I see Credit Suisse. It was just, it was the stepping stone. Like once again, um, that going to college, it was just the beginning. It was a stepping stone. I didn't know, I didn't know much. And Credit Suisse, once again, I didn't know much. And I into that space, and I was like, wow, I'm getting so much knowledge here. Um, but I don't believe that's just the, the place I will stay at long term, as far as the overall mission I want to accomplish in my life. Like you mentioned earlier, my overall mission is to help people create sustainable lives. And I'm using the resources there, be able to be able to fund different passion projects that I have so that I can build platforms outside of work corporate for corporate world to help people be do well and excel in, in the two areas that I see people struggle the most. Because coming out of my environment, coming out from a neighborhood I grew up in, I was like, why do people, are my people or people in general um, struggle so much? And I realized it's because most of us struggle in two areas, relationships and finances. And I was like, wow, okay, what is a vehicle? What are tools I can utilize to help people excel in this? And I realized there's different passion projects that I use, different organizations that I'm a part of that I can help do that within philanthropy, within um, more of a human development aspect that I can help people excel in these areas. So I just see Credit Suisse, I, and I, here's the cool part, right? That's the, why I tell people to focus on your mission than just your occupation, because you can fulfill your mission in many different avenues. So what is one of the things I do that? I want to provide people ac access to, well, same thing what MLT did for me. I want to be able to provide that access. So that's why I love being open book. I want to provide that transparency and share my experience with people outside of Credit Suisse who want to be able to enter that financial space, they can. So, and be able to increase the number of black talent and minorities or brown, black and brown skin to come into that environment, that's another way I can execute my mission as well because what they can do, because they have access to more capital, they can go out and build, develop assets and be able to donate more back in the community, bring some of that money back to where we came from. That's helping create that sustainability. So, right? So there's so many different ways I can execute my mission. My job is one way and the other 
organizations and groups I'm tied to outside of work as well. That's, that's those are other ways I do that. I don't want this to slip my mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want us to not fully go through this on the podcast today because I think it's important and it's very vital. You touched on imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. That is something that a lot of us go through in our corporate journeys, right? Right. For whatever reason, either we see people that are intelligent or we think they have things going going on or it's all going well for them without any issues. Talk about that or, or the importance of mental health, Black mental health, um, not only within tech or in the corporate spaces and how you had to swift through, maneuver through that journey and, and actually overcome uh, self-doubt. Yeah. Um, and, and when it comes to imposter syndrome, I don't even only believe that's a corporate thing. I believe that's just any type of organization or relationship type of aspect. Because when you think about it, I mean, just from my personal experience, like I said, I may be wrong. I, I believe imposter syndrome just comes from comparison. We're just looking at different people. We have these stories that we make up in our minds. And that's what the brain does. It, it doesn't like it likes it, it doesn't like uncertainty. So as a result, it fills that gap with the stories, basically heuristics, assumptions, just to fill up that gap. And it, so it makes us feel good. Right. So be, when we start coming up with these stories and as a result, when we meet somebody that's probably more competent and, and, than, than we are or, or the, we're working with a company that has a huge name, because, for example, if the company was not this major institution, but it was a small, smaller firm that not too many people know about. Will we have imposter syndrome there? I don't know, right? But I knew my my imposter syndrome from personal experience came from, oh, it's a Wall Street bank, it's a global firm, and you have all these people who went to Harvard and Penn and all these major institutions. Mind you, I'm from from a non-target school, University of Florida, so they don't recruit there for Wall Street. And so that's, so you have all these all these comparisons that's going on in your mind. And you know the saying, comparisons is a thief of joy, right? It steals that from you just because you want to compare. If I'm comparing you, George, you did IB and Stefan, you're doing great work. And I'm like, man, these guys are they're just killing it. But like you say, George, like you said, if, you, if you're a big fish in the pond, you're not learning, you're not growing. So you want to be a small fish. So if we start reframing this idea of, oh, I'm the small fish in the room, that's a good thing, right? These people are not my competition. They're worthy rivals because when we're competing, we're seeing what that person, that gap, right? We're seeing that gap that someone's better than and saying, wow, I suck. That's a bad script that we're running in our mind. But when we look at somebody, we see that gap and say, wow, they're better at this. They're more competent at this. What can I learn from them to get better? That's different. So if we start, we, we, and that's what I had to start doing for myself. I was like, wow, all these people in my room, they went to Stanford, Harvard, whatever like that. One, they're just people. And two, they probably are way more competent. That's one thing. Everybody was really good at coding and I was when coming in. I'll tell you that for sure. But here's the thing. There's a guy named Sean. I started asking him questions about backend stuff. What is inheritance? What are enums? What are all these things in back? And I started learning from him. Guess what? I got better, right? So I realized that's one of the things that I was able to tackle imposter syndrome. And I believe that's the message that probably can help a lot of people where let's stop looking at people as competition or let's stop looking at people who are better than us because no one's technically better than us. The only person that can be better than us is our future self. That's it. So that's, that's how I was able to um, tackle that. And my, my, you mentioned the Houston mental health um, growing up in my environment. That was something that didn't exist. It technically, it, it was like, it wasn't real when it comes to things like depression and um, 
and all those different, uh, those traumatic experiences that keep repeating in your mind, once again, ignorance. And those are real things. Those are real, really real issues because anytime a, a situation happened or you have something at work, someone makes you mad, technically, I'm, technically and really practically, nothing in this world is really bad or something scary because that's all perspective, right? I remember, Joy, I was talking to you. If I, if I throw a spider or a snake on the ground, Stefan reacts and you don't. That's all from personal experience. That's all from your past. So your past experiences is a filter for how you react to things in the present, right? So that's what it comes with, with mental health. Mental health is all from a, 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 a summary of all the experiences that you've had in your past. And then that affects what you do today. Literally, that's what's happening. I was like, Muhammad, what are all the beliefs? What are all the false beliefs that you have that are, are disempowering you that you need to re-script in your mind and rewrite your brain about? One of the things about was my confidence. One of the things about that, oh, I have dark skin. That's bad. One of the things is that, oh, that Muhammad, you're fat or that you look, you look like this, you look like that, or that you're not, you're supposed to be in this room. I had to start taking out all these scripts in my mind and start replacing them with healthier scripts, more positive affirmations saying, Muhammad, you do belong. You, you are great. You are kind. You are loyal. You are a man of respect. You're a man of integrity and start saying better things to me to help with my mental health. And then obviously I don't think there's nothing wrong with getting help. I have a personal temperament counselor. I go to her every month and I go, we have a counselor for our relationship. That doesn't mean that we have like, we're, we're bad or we have a, uh, we're a, a, a couple in distress or something like that. I see it as a regular checkup. Why do we go to annual checkups every year? To make sure we're good, to make sure we're healthy. Same thing I go to a counselor for. Just like we go to for a mental, a, a check for our physical body, we should have one for our conscious, for our mind. I really believe that's healthy as well. And, and to build off of this, just delve a little bit deeper, was this, this journey, this this journey through mental health, something that you engaged in post-undergrad or was this a, an experience that you were going through undergrad as well? And where did you get started, right? Like what were some of those first steps you took um, to gain that positive view on, on yourself and also the relationships that you had in the workplace? Because that is going to be a very consistent theme for members of our community, right? We oftentimes don't have the, the means and resources to be a part of these prestigious institutions, right? So we, we come into a lot of these environments with a, with a mental view of inadequacy, like, oh, you know, you know I, I kind of finesse my way into here, but there's a lot of work that I still need to do to be able to get to the finish line, right? So um, how did you start that journey? Yeah, so, so I really started it in undergrad. So I went to the council for the first time in in spring of 2016. And that's because I had a failed relationship in undergrad. And mind you, that, that all the all that comes from childhood scripts of why there was failure there. And um, I needed help. I needed help because I had a lot of anxiety. And when I saw that person, I had a lot of uh, fear when I saw that person. I was like, this is not healthy. This is not okay. I need I need help. And um, fortunately, I, have, I had a good support crew coming up in, in college. And they were saying, mom, you should go to counseling. And mind you, I was like, oh, no, nothing wrong with me. There goes there goes that ego that comes into play. And that's, that's something else I realized, too. My ego um, caused a lot of issues when, like, when it were relationships and what I thought that I should do or not. And mind you, when you have good people around you, they, they see your blind spots. And I, I find that very healthy as well. So I really I'm always a big promoter of having a, a great community around you of people helping you to see those blind spots and encouraging you to do things like counseling. And I, so that was my first introduction to, I went to counseling day. That was part of our tuition. So if you're still an undergrad, anyone out there, you still an undergrad, it, most of it, most of the time it's free. And because you're most likely paying for it 
in the money that you're giving to the school. So you might as well go get free counseling just to check it out. Just it doesn't hurt. I believe there's you won't lose anything going to see and check it out at all. And so I went and checked and it was actually very helpful. I was able to, the one thing they taught me, that was my first introduction to be like, to actually realize, okay, well, I need to forgive this person. And I was able to do that. And that was my first beginning from then. I couldn't go anymore because um, the, it was getting too booked and it didn't work out anymore. So that's when it stopped there. And it picked back up again, 2019. So two years ago, I picked back up counseling. I've been consistent ever since. And it's been it's been transformational. And I've been able to forgive my father. I was able to, to be able to repair relationships in my family. And that's something I'm, I'm just big on promoting, forgiveness, because us forgiving just, re, just removes that, the people that are living in our head rent-free. And that is, is really powerful for us to start that journey of forgiveness. For, first thing, forgiving ourselves, because there's a lot of things we let people do to us, take advantage of us, or have not having proper boundaries that we weren't taught. And so we have to forgive our, ourselves first and then forgive the people that we were in relationships that hurt us and forgive our parents for whatever they've done growing up or what they didn't do growing up. And then forgive everybody else. Forgive everybody else. Um, all of these, these things are powerful and help us move forward in our life when it comes to that journey. Forgiveness is key. That's one of the many gems that you dropped throughout this podcast uh, and more than gems, sort of actionable items, right? Uh, that we could use and execute in our daily lives. So at Dream Shakers, you know, I, I, I've raised to you on, about this pod plenty of times before and how we like to pay it forward. And I'm sure, or not I'm sure, I know you do too. What are the three pieces of advice Muhammad would give to his younger self? I'll definitely say start that, that journey of forgiveness earlier. Uh, that's huge. I believe there's a lot of pains and a lot of scripts that I wouldn't have been carrying carrying for so long if I did that. And um, something else, understand someone's perspective. Put yourself in other people's shoes and really practice empathy. Uh, sometimes we can say that, but there's a lot of times that uh, I, I wasn't really doing that. Right? We're so, when we're speaking to people, some, we're already forming the next response in our head because we want to be right so bad. But it's like, what matters more? Us being right or us coming to a, in, having integration, coming up with a better solution that works out for best of us and everybody around us. All right. So I believe that's a perspective of us, a, a perspective as well. So yeah, forgiveness, seeking to understand and to be understood. All right. And I believe something else, start start knowing being under being comfortable with ignorance i think that's something is big as well being okay with ignorance because we had that script so much growing up saying oh boy you ignorant or you're ignorant and it's just like it made it seem like it was so bad that it gave ignorance a negative connotation when really ignorance is just really a neutral word it's just everything at the end of the day is a choice and i remember was talking about that the other day george he's like at the end of the day everything's a choice you can choose to be happy. You can choose to be mad. You can choose to react. You can choose to respond. So at the end of the day, our quality of life is a summary of the decisions that we make every single day. That's it. So like I, so I think the, the biggest things were, like I said, is forgiveness. That has been massive impact on my life. Seeking to understand and to be understood. And then lastly, be okay with ignorance. Just, just, have, just choose not to stay there and you'll be all right. Well, those are all the questions that we have for you today, Muhammad. This was a phenomenal interview. You provided an immense amount of insight in regards to actions individuals can take to 
really bring about some positive outcomes in their lives. So we appreciate you dropping by. We appreciate you providing feedback, your perspective, and we look forward to having you back on the show at some point in the future to update us on how things have progressed, what you're up to, and also how you've continued to impact the world. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time, King. We truly appreciate it. I mean, we we love the interview. I'm sure the people will love you out there as well. And I'll let you know the feedback, but thank you again for taking your time. I'm just happy to be here. Thank you for having me. That was a great interview we just had with Mohammed. He came to the pod and provided the insight that we needed around what it's like to be a software developer within a large financial institution and also provided some much needed context on how to really properly frame that personal journey with mental health. Definitely appreciate him coming by and sharing that insight. How did you feel about the interview, George? Yes, yeah, Steph, I think it was great for him to provide that context around his upbringing, the importance of mental health. We think that mental health is something that people often shy away from. And we hope to change the narrative, especially through our part and and showing that it's great to take care of your mental health and you utilize it as a priority. So shout out to Mo and and we love what he's doing in the tech space. And we hope to invite him back sometime. Couldn't agree with you more, brother. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, with that, we're at the tail end of the show. And that means it's time for the level up. That means it's time for the level up. And this week, much like every week, I have three, that's right, three opportunities for you to start your career journey in tech. So the first role we have is a product intern at Nelson. Here, you will begin with an introduction to learn about Nielsen's strategies, products, and systems, as well as an overview of their product leadership community. You will dive in heads first, and gains hands-on experience creating innovative solutions that make a difference for Nielsen's customers, clients, and employees. Over the course of the summer, you will collaborate with teams outside of product, including data science, engineering, and commercial leaders. You will learn how to define product features and capabilities, and you will also learn all the components that would fall into a successful product Roadmap. You are fit for this role if you are data savvy and have strong attention to detail with the ability to manipulate, interpret, and tell a story using the separate data sources. You have strong communication and relationship management skills. And finally, you are able to manage multiple priorities and thrive in a fast-paced collaborative environment and escalate issues when necessary. The internship will be based out of Chicago. Next up, we have a marketing operations intern role at Dolby Laboratories. Those are the same folks behind the crazy surround sound systems. The Dolby U internship program offers impactful project-based work experience in a collaborative, creative environment where you work side-by-side with industry leaders. Over the course of the summer, you will implement improvements and troubleshoot changes utilizing new and existing platforms slash tools, Partner with key stakeholders 
in marketing and across the larger Dolby organization to drive shared business growth and utilize financial modeling and analysis to provide business slash ecosystem health updates and partner with finance to manage budget and investment mix. You are fit for this role. If you are proficient with Microsoft Excel, PowerPoint, and Visio, you are a creative problem solver, strategic thinking, and self-starter. And finally, if you are working towards a bachelor's or master's degree in marketing or a related field, the internship will be based out of San Francisco. Finally, we have a digital project coordinator intern at Hasbro. Here, you will work closely with Hasbro's digital project management team, where you will assist in scheduling and tracking multiple digital-focused projects across all Hasbro-branded global sites. Over the course of the summer, you will assist with digital content, communicate with cross-functional teams involved in development, digital marketing, product management, and project management, and interface with global business partners to coordinate the timely delivery of digital business requests. You are fit for this role if you have experience with Microsoft Office 365, Microsoft Project, and SharePoint. You have strong interpersonal, verbal, and written communication skills. And finally, you have demonstrated analytical and problem-solving skills in previous roles. The internship will be based out of Providence, Rhode Island. Those are all of the opportunities I have for this week. So I'm going to hand it over to George, and he is going to close us out. No, I'm not. I'm going to finish it off. <laughs> Thanks, Steph. We appreciate you for those opportunities. Such a pleasure to hear what's going on at Level Up. But you all have the opportunity to change your mission, change your objective, change your goal, change your life. What are you going to do? It starts today for you. Take care. God bless. We'll see you on the next episode. We got more heat coming for your head tops. All right. Later.